Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you today? It is good to see you. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to, with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We are continuing a series we began a few weeks ago called Sheepish. And what we're looking at are the promises of God that he gives to us. And probably this deals with a lot of frustrations people go through. And the reason why they're frustrated is they read in Scripture promise after promise after promise, and they don't necessarily see it in their own lives. And God gives us one of the most relatable examples or depictions of himself as a shepherd. One of the most famous ones and one of the most ones he uses most often is that of a shepherd. And we love the idea of a shepherd. We just don't like the idea of being sheep, right? But in order to access the promises of a shepherd, you have to take the posture of sheep. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The reason why this rubs us so wrong is because we like to be in control. And we like to focus on self. We are self-made, self-supplied, self-sufficient, self-reliant, right? If sometimes we make mistakes, we call it self-defeating. In our minds, in the minds of the world, self is the source, but that's not the way it works with the shepherd at all. So today I want to unpack some of the promise that he gives us. It's the promise of provision in our life that will hopefully leave us from self-control to shepherd-led. That's the purpose. And one of the most famous passages about a shepherd, King David writes, Psalm 23, and he's writing this, and he is... If there's anybody that ever has a reason that he could think that he was self-reliant, I mean, it'd be David. He was, a, he was a, some, a poet. He was a prophet, a songwriter. He was a warrior. He was a champion. He was a king. And yet in the middle of all of it, at the end of his life, he says, the way I view the Lord is as a shepherd, and I am in much need of him. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack Nothing. I want you to just read that with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. One more time. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He goes on and says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's talk about God's promise of provision for your life and for my life as the sheep of his pasture. Let's pray. Father, for the next few moments, I pray that you would dig deep down within us and uproot the areas where we tend to be self-reliant and let your word take that place so that we can depend on you, our shepherd. Would you anoint the words as they go forth, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive for one purpose, that you may accomplish your perfect will in our lives. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in these verses, King David literally is listing layer upon layer upon layer of God's promises for our lives. Promises that deal emotionally, 
spiritually, relationally, financially. He talks about all of these things, and he says, I literally lack nothing. And you may say, well, you know what? He's a king. He's a champion. He's a warrior. No wonder he says those. But once again, this was written at the end of his life when David is battling a serious illness, when he's got family turmoil that's going on, and there's war within his own nation, a civil war that's going on in his own nation. And yet in the midst of all of this, not in the glory days of when everything's going good, in the tough days at the end of his life, he says, the Lord is, has been my shepherd, and I lack nothing. So one of two things is happening. Either he's being dishonest and disingenuous, or he knows something about the character and the nature of God that we need to latch on to and understand in a greater way. See, when most people think of God, they think of God like they think of Amazon. Your prayer life, most people consider him like Amazon. I order it, I wait a few days, maybe a few weeks if it's on back order. Eventually, it'll show up at my front door. Occasionally, I did something wrong and didn't order it right, and there was something, and it just doesn't show up. But that's how they treat God, like he's some vendor in their life. Lord, I need this. I'll wait on it. Lord, I need this. I'll wait on it. But see, God's provision is not in a list of orders. It goes through the lens of relationship in our lives. So if you've been married, you understand this. Marriage vows, you don't stand up and take marriage vows with a list of all the things that you're going to do and all the things the other person's going to do, do you? I mean, you're not writing a contract that says, okay, here's the list of things. Here's what a, you know, one of you doesn't say, I'll work all the time and you can work part-time, take care of the kids. I'll mow the grass, you do the dishes, I'll pay the bills. You, you don't do that. That's not, you don't, you, I've never been to a wedding that has that where they're reading out all the terms of a contract. You know Why? because that's not how it works. You're not entering into a contract, you're entering into a covenant. And a covenant is not about a list of do's and don'ts. A covenant says, I give you all of me. God is not about a contract, he's about a covenant. He makes a covenant with us and he says, if you, you give me all of you and here's my word to you, I will give you all of me and I will withhold nothing. As a matter of fact, in the earliest time where God made the lifetime covenant with Abraham and us, the people of God, all the way to this day, from the old covenant to the new covenant, God basically said, I'm going to keep my covenant. Now, in the early days, in those days, you had this strange way, this ritual where you'd keep a covenant. And that would be, you would take an animal and you'd sacrifice that animal. And when you sacrifice that animal, you would cut that animal in two and you'd put one side here and one side here. I know that sounds weird, nasty, all that stuff. But the two people entering into covenant says, I'm giving myself to you. You can count on me. I'm never gonna turn against you. I'm gonna be for you for all of our lives. And you walk through the passage between the two halves of that animal. And what you're saying is this, may this be me if I ever break this covenant. And the Bible says God walks through, his presence walks through the midst of that. But he doesn't allow Abraham to walk through. Abraham, he puts in a deep sleep. And through a vision and a dream, he sees the Lord's representation 
and, and coming alongside Abraham, walking through on Abraham's behalf. This is the deal that God makes in his covenant with us. You bring nothing to the table. And he says, I'm giving you everything, everything that I am. And listen, he says, as much as you try, you're going to eventually fail. That's why Jesus had to come. You're going to fail. You're not going to keep the covenant you make with me. So you're not going to walk through and pay the price for the punishment. I'll walk through it myself. And when you fail in the covenant, I'll take the price on my own head. Which is why Jesus Christ went to a cross and gave his life for your life and for my life. So that not only is he a covenant keeper, he empowers us to be people through the spirit of God to keep the covenant on his behalf. This is the amazing thing. God is not about a list of rules and orders. He is a God, not of a contract, but a God of covenant. And it's through a relationship. So in that covenant, what does God in his covenant say that he will give to you and me in his promise of provision? Three things I want you to see this morning. The first one is this is that God will provide your needs. I, I want you to personalize that right now. I just want you to say it to yourself. Say, God will provide my needs. Some of you just went through the motion. Say it again. God will provide my needs. You need to believe this in your life. One of the most striking things about sheep is their inability to take care of themselves. They are completely dependent on the shepherd. But we tend to think of ourselves and our jobs and our abilities and our connections with other people as the source of the things that brought into our life. But that's not true at all. James 1.17 tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Now, those provision, that provision may travel through my job sometimes. It may travel through other people. But listen, just because God has a massive amount of resources doesn't mean that my obligation is to worship the resources. It's to worship the source. It's, it's me understanding that though resources flow into my life, God is always the source. Now, listen, I'm not denying there won't be hard times in your life. Jesus told you there would be. I'm not denying there's going to be difficult times when you lose a job or a relationship or an opportunity in that. But listen, you don't have to lose heart during those times because though resources may look limited, our source is unlimited. So knowing that my source, the Lord, is unlimited and that he can supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches, here's what I know. I'm not at the mercy of the economy because the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to the Lord. I'm not subject to market trends anymore because God can open doors that no person can ever close. I'm not waiting on other people to get me to my destiny because God orders my steps. I'm not waiting at a disadvantage because I know that God is on my side providing everything that I will ever need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. Sheep get this. The sheep get this. They simply wake up each day, go and follow the shepherd, go into the field he leads them to, eat their fill, drink of the water, and lie down and rest. They get this because their faith isn't in the field. It's in the shepherd. If I see God as my provider, I ask him to supply my needs, and then I'm at rest. 
If I truly believe he'll supply my needs, I ask him for it and I have rest, I have peace. But if I don't see God as my provider, then I continually try to scratch and claw to get what I think I need. And even though I ask him, I'm continually trying to scratch and claw to get what I need, and my life is filled with worry and anxiety. A few years ago, I heard an interview with Christine Kane, who's an evangelist, and um, they were asking her, what has she learned in the last 10 years? And she said, what I wish I knew 10 years ago is what I know now. And she says, now I labor, work to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm not spinning my wheels trying to do all this stuff out there. What I'm spending my energy is, is to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So how do you take a posture of rest in a world that is filled with anxiety? I'm gonna give you one tool this week. When you wake up every morning, before your feet hit the floor, I want you to say this. The Lord is my shepherd, and I'm counting on him to meet my needs, to supply everything that I will ever need, to feed me, to lead me, to meet my needs. When you go into that business meeting, the Lord is my shepherd. Before you go into the parent-teacher conference, the Lord is my shepherd. When you've got a major decision to make, the Lord is my shepherd. You may have to say it 10 or 15 times a day in order for it to settle down deep. But listen, eventually it's going to settle down deep, take root in your life, and the place where it takes root will begin to uproot the place where worry was living. And you can rest in knowing that God's goodness is there. So here's what I need you to know. If God, and the Bible tells us, if he's going to provide my needs, like it's, it's not dependent on if I do a bunch of stuff right. God's going to meet my needs. When that provision comes, are you going to be at rest or are you going to be restless? Are you going to needlessly spin the wheels of your mind and emotion and psyche worrying about the thing God has already promised that he's going to do in your life? When I know that his promise of provision is true in my life, I can know that God will provide all of my needs, all of them. The second thing I know is this, is that God often provides what you don't want, but what you need. I did not expect any amens there <laughs> at all. He provides what you don't want, but what you need. Have you ever signed an agreement and you didn't read the whole agreement? You ever downloaded an app? And before you could use the app, it asked you to agree to it after you read it and you just scrolled all the way to the bottom and just clicked agree, right? Nobody else does that, right? You assume you can live with the terms, though you don't even know what the terms are. You just assume you know what the terms are. This is how a lot of people approach Jesus. They come to faith in Jesus Christ and they assume that Jesus is showing up to sign on to their agenda. And what's their agenda? What everybody's agenda would be without Christ. Pursuing happiness, 
It's the idea that, oh, God wants me to be happy. And so God's just going to come in and sweep in and make me happy in everything. He's going to happen in my relationship, in my job, my career, all of these things. God wants me to be happy. But that's not actually what Scripture tells us. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us what his goal is. Romans 8, 29 says, for from the very beginning, how, how long has it been? From the very beginning. So he didn't change his mind. He didn't go, oh, never mind, not happy. No, from the very beginning. God decided that those who came to him, and all along he knew who would, should become like his son. From the very beginning, he had a goal in mind for you and me, and as to become like Jesus. As a matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3 tells us that God's will is for you to be holy. So here's the conflict. So many people think that God wants them to be happy. So they think that God's will is happiness and God's will is actually holiness in their life. And so they inevitably will veer off the path and the shepherd has to bring them back into the fold. That's a beautiful thing. To know that even when you veer off the path, the shepherd leaves the flock to come find you. And for some of you in this room, for some of you watching online right now, you know this is convicting right now. And when I say convicting, not in a condemnation way. Conviction means a drawing, a convincing. Well, you know, Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now. And you know you haven't been living the way God has called you to live. You know you've stepped outside of the fold of his protection and his guidance and his provision. You know all of that. Can I just tell you something? You were never too lost that Jesus can't find you. You were never too lost that God will not go a great distance. Listen, he's in covenant. He's already given everything he is to you. And some of you, he will draw you home. Some of you have not wandered away from a relationship with him. You just veer off course in your decisions, forgetting he wants you to be holy and you try to be happy. And when you wander off, you fall into the pitfalls. You wander off and you get injured. And the shepherd comes and he picks you up and he takes you back. And he takes you to the fold and he brings you back with him. And he keeps you right by his side as he nurtures you back to health. Some of you, articles I read on shepherds, that some sheep are just stubborn. They'll leave the fold, shepherd will bring them back. Leave the fold, shepherd will bring them back. Leave the fold, the shepherd will bring them back. Eventually, the shepherd cares enough about that lamb that he literally will physically disable that lamb to bring it back to the fold so it has to stay right by him and listen to his voice as he nurtures it back to health. Whether you wander off and you get injured or whether through your stubbornness, He has to disable you for a while. Here's the spiritual truth of that. The temporary discomfort that you may feel will lead to a deeper relationship with the shepherd that will provide you a lifetime of provision and guidance. That's why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Now, notice it doesn't say every hardship comes from God. There are times God may have to disable you spiritually and bring you back to the fold. There are some times you just experience a setback 
but every hardship God uses as a moment to teach you a deeper truth about him and bring you into a deeper relationship with him. This is what the scripture goes on to say. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, if, we've, if we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, how much more should we submit to the father but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. I've never met anyone who likes discipline, right? No one. But I've met a lot of people who need discipline, including myself. Have you ever seen someone who needs discipline? It's just so obvious. You know, the child in the store, you're at the checkout line and they're in front of you and that child is just throwing a temper tantrum and nothing that can get done is soothing that child at all. And there are different people that are observing all of this. All of you know that they need discipline, but several of you are just thinking different thoughts. Some of you are kind. You think, oh, that kid needs a hug, you know. Some of you are going, mm, probably needs a little structure, you know. Others are going, eh, maybe a parole officer. You know, I mean, <laughs> you have a different thought, but you all know that they need discipline. So here's the question. Why didn't you go discipline that child? Because it's not your child. Because when discipline comes, it comes through the rightful place of a parent. God uses setbacks and sometimes disabling in order to develop us. And in that developing, it's proof that we're his. Many times you think it's affliction when it's actually affection. When God loves you too much to let you stay that way, so he draws you near so you will learn to hear his voice more clearly and provide you with a lifetime of guidance and provision. And because you're his, you can expect that whatever season you're going through, that God has promised that as bad as it is, somehow he's going to bring good out of it. You can also expect that he'll give you enough grace to endure it. You also can expect that he'll give you divine wisdom in order to navigate whatever difficulty that you're facing at that time. It may not be a season or a circumstance that you wanted, but if you trust God, eventually you will see that God will provide for a need that you, did, you weren't even aware that you needed. God often provides what we don't want, but we need. Thirdly, God can provide for your wants. It's really funny. We, we, the, the, the truth is there that God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Yes, he doesn't promise to provide all your wants. But I think we demonize wants. You say, oh, he provides needs. Don't tell him about your wants. God cares deeply about what you want. He may not answer all of your prayers in the affirmative. He's gonna guide you down the path that he wants to, but he wants you to bring them to him. Do you know what type of prayers don't get answered? The ones you don't pray. 100% of those don't. God wants you to bring those, but here, here's how he's developing us. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God 
That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. What does he say? Listen, eventually God's gonna take you to a process where your wants match his wants. And when you ask those things, he's gonna flood those into you. And in the time, he may say no to some other things, but he's developing you along the way. So he's developing you and he's answering your prayers at the same time. This, this is one of, the, one of the strangest parts about when you talk about provision of God is when people talk about God being a provider, they only think about resources. They only think about money or possession. Do you know when... In the Old Testament, there are Old Testament names of God. When God is known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, it has absolutely nothing to do with money. Nothing. It's Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham is being tested by God and God in, his old, God in Abraham's old age, God gives him a son that he, that he always wanted. And he says, and through your son, all of these promises are going to be fulfilled through this. And then God says, I want to test him. So God came to Abraham and he said, I want you to give me your son. Sacrifice him to me. Now, the story is very clear. He never intended for that sacrifice. He wanted to know though, do you love him more than you love me? Where's your heart? And Abraham not only passed the test, went and went to the place where God told him to, Mount Moriah, which is a place that you'll be familiar with. It's called Golgotha or Mount Calvary later on in New Testament. It's the same hill. He takes Isaac up and he prepares to sacrifice him because he says, the Lord is the most important thing. And God stops him. An angel says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Untie him. Now I know, I know where your heart is. I know that you love me more than anything else. And the Bible says that God ushers a ram from the other side of that mountain to take the place of Isaac, foreshadowing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us as well. And it's there. It's right there. Not in someone asking for houses, lands, possession, money. It's right there in verse 14 of chapter 22 of Genesis. It says, so there Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, why is that important? Once again, God's in a covenant relationship and he's literally withheld nothing from us. Like nothing. This is a giving that I cannot even comprehend. I'd be willing to enter into a covenant with you and say, I commit everything. I'll give you my life. Can I just tell you something? I'd lay down my life for you. But I'm not going to give you my son's life or my daughter's life. Yet God withholds nothing from us and his son is willing to be the sacrifice for us so that we might have an eternal relationship that begins right now and extends to eternity. And Paul, writing in Romans Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? 
If God is in covenant with you and has withheld nothing from you, there is nothing good that he will ever withhold from you. One of the greatest parts of that Psalm 23 is when David at the end of it says, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will live in his presence forever. Surely goodness and mercy are following me. The Hebrew word that's used for follow, not a passive word. Not a passive word at all. As a matter of fact, it's not a word that indicates that, that God isn't kind of locked in or held back. It's only for a few. That's not what it means at all. It is a Hebrew hunting term that literally means to go after and to pursue. You think about that for a second. God's goodness is coming after you. His goodness is pursuing you. His mercy is trying to catch up to you. In your worst times, when you are struggling to try to figure out what to do, when you're, when you're clawing and you're trying to get ahead, when you don't know what to do, when you are spinning your wheels, when you're running at a frantic pace and you don't know what to do, God's goodness and mercy are right behind you. And can I tell you, some of you at some point need to trust God and rest in his goodness. Can I just tell you, some, some of you, you need to slow down Stop trying to figure it all out and let the goodness of God pursue you and catch up to you and overwhelm you and the rest of God allow you to lie down in green pastures and to rest beside still waters so that he can restore your soul. That's what a covenant God looks like. And as covenant people, what that means is, even though my faith may feel worn down, and even though your circumstances may feel overwhelming, I trust in the goodness of God. And though I don't know how, and I can't see it, and I don't know when, his goodness is going to keep me in his rest, and his provision is going to give me all that I need. And he will keep me safe here, and he will bring me to him eternally. And I can rest in that goodness. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? I mentioned it earlier. Some of you probably came into this place and you know you have been straying away from the Lord, but the Holy Spirit is drawing you to hear the voice of the Lord and come back home. And if that's you, you just need to pray a simple prayer like this. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you indeed are the good shepherd and that your voice is still calling to me. So I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to lead me and guide me in the way of truth. And I ask that this day, that as I depend on you and I rest in you, that I know my life now and my life in eternity will never be the same. We just pray this prayer profession with me, everyone. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. 
Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you. But if that's you, I want to pray for you this week, and this is, this is very important. If you're making that decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time, that's you. Would you just raise your hand really, really high and keep it up for just a moment while no one else is looking around? Yep, keep it up just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you can put them down. Now, some of you are in the room right now, and you are facing a circumstance that you didn't ask for, but it feels overwhelming. And you know that rest seems far from you. And by faith, you're allowing the goodness of God to catch up to you so that you can rest by faith in his provision for all of your needs. But it's been a struggle so far. If that's you, would you raise your hand really high? Amen. Man, you're not alone. Yeah. All right. Put them down. Father, in these next few moments, we thank you. Thank you for lives that have been changed and redeemed, for hope that has been restored, for a future, Lord, that has been illuminated by your glorious work in our lives. For those that are in the room, Lord, that they're facing difficulties, maybe they've been facing them for a long time, and they can't figure out where your goodness is going to come from. But by faith, they need to just catch up, stop and let you catch up to them as you pursue them. I pray that your goodness, your rest would overwhelm this, them and that they would rest in the provision that you have given us in the covenant of who you are. Lord, in these next few moments as we pray together, I ask that your Holy Spirit be with the folks that come forward to pray by faith, giving their needs to you. I ask for those that are on our prayer team that you would anoint them to pray so that we could align our faith with your promises and stand on your word today. And for the rest of us, allow us to enter into worship as we sing of your goodness, of your mercy, of your faithfulness, and of the belief that you will always be faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. Our prayer team is coming to right around the front. If you have a need today, I'm gonna invite you to come and allow one of our prayer teams to pray with you, whether that's physical need, emotional, financial, maybe it's relational, whatever the need is, the Lord knows how to meet that need and our faith is in him today. So as we sing a song of worship and praise, I want you to lift your voices to the Lord. If you've got a need, I invite you to come down and let's believe and worship together. We sing of his goodness today. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. We sing your goodness. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Yes, Jesus. 
I've been held in your hand. It's our story today. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. We sing all my life. It's running after me, Jesus. 
just thank you today, Father. Oh, your faithfulness. You're always beside me. time we sing and all my life you have been and all my life you have been faithful yes you have all my life you have been so come on it's our anthem today with every breath with every Let's celebrate together. Six people gave their hearts to Jesus today. Come on. If you made that decision today or in the last few weeks, um, our grow team would love to talk with you. Or if you just want some information about getting plugged in here at North, man, we would love to get some information to you. Give us about two minutes today. Before you leave, though, here's what I want you to do. Remember, in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, the Lord is my shepherd. He will supply my needs. Can you say that with me? The Lord is my shepherd. He will supply my needs. One more time. The Lord is my shepherd. He will supply my needs. If you believe that, give him praise. One more time in this place. Blessed be your holy name today, Lord. Hallelujah. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Can I just tell you something? Um, I didn't mention this when I started uh, to, to preach this morning, but um, sometimes when we sing um, in our worship time, I just back out a little bit. And man, I just, I don't think you know how good you sound when you worship the Lord in this place. This place was filled with the anthems of praise and man, it just sounded so good. And I gotta tell you something, there's nothing like being in Mount Perrin North to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So before you go, one of the greatest privileges I have is to bless you according to Numbers chapter six. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. 
O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great day.